Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Hey everyone, it's Patrick here. And this episode's pretty special, number one, because it's ethics and I love ethics. Uh, But number two, it is an example of seven cases from Dr. Sajid Khan's Medical Ethics 101, the 101 cases that you must know for the USMLE. So I'm happy to report that I spoke with Dr. Khan and we came to an agreement so that we will be putting some ethics cases, in fact, more of like an audio version of his uh, book into our app as a premium feature for premium subscribers and prepare you for the fact that we will be creating essentially an ethics product as one of the features, the premium features that goes along with um, our audio cue bank, Lecterio's high yield pharmacology, the audio flashcards, and the question dissections product that we'll be updating uh, very soon. So go download our app, just search Audio QBank by Inside the Boards on your app store. Any day now, we will be releasing the update of the app um, that has the audio flashcards in it, um, this ethics product featuring Dr. Khan's Medical Ethics 101 book as uh, essentially like a, a question bank, a high yield playlist. But to kick off this relationship and to give you a little bit of uh, extra ethics learning, within our app, if you go download it, um, there will be a playlist in the playlist section that has a number of these uh, uh, high-yield ethics cases in them. Um, And then just to give you an idea of how this will go, here I recorded a few of them um, to just kind of whet your appetite, if you will. I know ethics is one of those neglected subjects on the boards. Um, So expect to see more and more content uh, from us related to this. And of course, as always, thank you for listening. And uh, during your dedicated uh, step prep time, uh, really encourage you to stay healthy, stay balanced, and take advantage of everything that we have to offer you during the dedicated uh, step one prep period during our step one study smarter fest. You can learn more about all of that at insidetheboards.com slash study smarter. Hit me up for a clubhouse invite if you want to participate in our kind of like small group uh, question dissection, like forums and and, um, audio chats. And if you're already on clubhouse, you can follow me at Darth Beeman. And of course, I would really appreciate it if you tell your friends about what we're doing, especially on Reddit. I cannot... I cannot find anyone to help promote us on Reddit. And I go in there and like comment and and offer advice sometimes, but like it's hard because I don't want to be like, yo, listen to my podcast because it it's, comes across as like um, spammy, I guess. So I guess if you think that, uh, that what we're doing is, is worth sharing with the world, um, go ahead and share it, please. And uh, on Reddit would be an ideal place. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you later. Question one. A 40-year-old male comes to the office because he has been feeling bad lately. He says that for the past three months, he has been having trouble sleeping and has not had the desire to go out. He has stopped going to baseball games with friends, which had been something he enjoyed. He is obese and notes that while most of his friends are married and have children, he has difficulty getting a date. He feels worthless and has even missed days at work as he finds it difficult to concentrate. The most important question to ask is A. Have you had any recent stressors in your life? B. Do you ever feel like life is not worth living? C. Do you think that your life would be much better if you were dating? D. 
I'm having some friends over to watch the baseball game tonight. Would you like to come? Or E. Have you tried losing weight? I would be happy to advise you on diet and exercise habits. And the correct answer here is choice B. Do you ever feel like life is not worth living? Screening for major depression is important. An easy way to remember the diagnostic criteria is SIGI caps. Everyone knows this one. So sleep disturbances, I is for interest. Interest is decreased with, you know, usual activities of uh, enjoyment. G is guilt or worthlessness. E is energy is decreased. C is concentration difficulties. A is appetite disturbances. P is psychomotor retardation or agitation. And S is suicidal thoughts. Having a depressed mood in at least four of the above for at least two weeks meets the criteria for major depression. This patient has symptoms suggestive of major depressive disorder, and it is most important to assess whether or not he is suicidal. Identifying the source of his depression is important, and stressors, be they related to work, finances, relationships, etc., are essential to identify in order to treat the underlying cause. Avoid forming relationships with your patient outside of the professional setting, as that could lead you to make decisions that might not always be in the best interest of the patient. In other words, your relationship might influence how you treat him. While obesity is associated with many serious medical conditions, his depression may lead him to commit suicide, and it is therefore most important to assess his risk of harming himself. Case number two. A four-year-old girl is brought to the ER after falling off a swing. She appears to have a fractured right forearm. Sensation impulses are intact. She's accompanied by her 18-year-old babysitter. Both the babysitter and emergency room staff are unable to contact her parents for consent to treat. What is the most appropriate response? Is it A, continue attempts to contact the parents to obtain consent, B, obtain an x-ray and treat the fracture appropriately, C, obtain consent from the babysitter as she has assumed responsibility in this case, or D, using implied consent, reduce the fracture as you continue attempts to contact the parents. And the correct answer here is choice A, continue attempts to contact the parents to obtain consent. The vignette here implies that the fracture is not life or limb threatening. In such cases, you need to make reasonable attempts to obtain consent from the parents or legal guardians. Babysitters have no more of a legal right to make decisions than do strangers. There is no indication in the question that fracture reduction is necessary. In fact, no mention is made of a deformity, and the extremity has no neurovascular deficits, so it would be inappropriate to reduce the fracture without 1. an x-ray, and 2. consent. Case number 3. You are in clinic seeing a patient for routine follow-up. The patient has a history of schizophrenia and informs you that he doesn't like his boss. The patient asks if everything he tells you is confidential. You confirm that it is, and he admits, sometimes I think I might kill him if I get the chance. What is the most appropriate action? A. Maintain confidentiality while attempting to discourage the patient from his plan. B. Inform law enforcement agencies of the threat to the patient's boss. C. Inform the patient's boss of the threat. D. Inform both the patient's boss 
and law enforcement of the threat, or E, admit the patient for homicidal ideation but maintain confidentiality. And the correct answer here is choice D, inform both the patient's boss and law enforcement of the threat. Duty to warn requires a clinician who has reasonable grounds to believe that a client may be in imminent danger of harming others to warn the possible victims. Duty to warn is one of the few exceptions to a patient's right to confidentiality. In cases of suicidality and homicidality, you have a moral and legal obligation to inform the potential victim and the proper authorities. If law enforcement is informed and the potential victim is not informed, then you are held liable if there is injury to the victim. It will be necessary to admit the patient for homicidal ideations so that he can receive proper psychiatric treatment, but the police and the person at risk should still be warned. To review a relevant legal case, Tarasov versus Regents of the University of California, Tatiana Tarasov was murdered by Prosenjit Podar, who had received psychological services in the University Counseling Center. Podar informed his psychologist that he wanted to kill Tarasov, and following the session, his psychologist informed the campus police. The psychologist also wrote a letter requesting assistance to the chief of campus police. Podar was briefly detained by police in question, then released because his mental state seemed stable. No one ever warned Tatiana Tarasov, and Potter eventually killed her. The case was settled out of court, but established the precedent of duty to warn. Case number four. A 30-year-old pregnant woman presents to your clinic for prenatal care. She has a history of having had syphilis in the past and chlamydia earlier in this pregnancy. She's never had an HIV test done. She's 36 weeks gestation and is offered an HIV test as part of her prenatal care, but declines to have it done. Despite your best attempts at discussing the importance of early detection and the risk to her unborn child, she continues to refuse. What is the best response? A. Do not perform the test, as she has the right to refuse. B. Perform the test, as it is necessary to protect the health of the baby. C. Administer empiric antiretroviral therapy to prevent perinatal transmission. D. Obtain consent from the father of the child. Or E. Obtain a court order to test the patient. And the correct answer here is choice A. Do not perform the test as she has the right to refuse. An unborn child does not have the same rights as an individual under the law. Therefore, mandating that the patient undergo the test for the sake of her unborn child falls flat. Pregnant women may opt out of HIV testing, in which case the physician should continue attempts to educate the patient and encourage testing, but cannot force it upon her. Furthermore, HIV testing typically requires an additional layer of consent. In October 2012, a woman in New York sued her physician for informing her that she was HIV positive. She claims she never consented for the test. Testing patients against their will or without their knowledge is acceptable, only in cases where you are trying to prevent harm to another person. Since the law does not recognize the unborn as a person, the mother's health and decisions take priority. Case number five. A 60-year-old male presents to the emergency room with shortness of breath. He has a history of diabetes, hypertension, and coronary artery disease. His labs confirm that he is in acute renal failure with a potassium of seven and will need dialysis. 
While reviewing his chart, you find a DNR slash DNI, do not resuscitate slash do not intubate, form that he has filled out. He continues to confirm that he still feels the same way and would like both the DNR and DNI forms to be kept on the front of his chart. Which of the following is the most appropriate course of action? A. Inform the patient that you cannot admit him to the hospital if the DNR slash DNI form remains active. B. Ask the patient if he has a durable power of attorney or a surrogate decision maker that he would like you to consult. C. Dialyze the patient anyway and admit him to the ICU, but do not intubate him if it becomes necessary. Or choice D. Treat the patient with medications only and admit him to a medical floor. And the correct answer here is choice C. Dialyze the patient anyway and admit him to the ICU, but do not intubate him if it becomes necessary. Patients with a DNR order can still be treated and admitted to an intensive care unit. A DNR order is designed to keep the patient from receiving cardiopulmonary resuscitation, for example, defibrillation, antiarrhythmics, CPR. Hyperkalemia in this case is life-threatening, and withholding this treatment is inappropriate and independent of a DNR order. Identifying a surrogate decision maker in this case is unnecessary, as there is no reason to suspect that the patient cannot make decisions on his own. Do not confuse DNR orders with palliative care. There is no reason the patient should not be admitted to the intensive care unit. Case number six. You are the inpatient physician taking care of an elderly woman who will likely be diagnosed with metastatic cancer pending the results of a biopsy. Although the patient is alert and oriented, she is very sick and the family has concerns regarding lack of a cure. The family asks that you inform them first about the results of the biopsy. They do not want to upset the patient any further. Which of the following is the most appropriate course of action? A. Communicate the results to the family first. B. Ask for the ethics committee to get involved. C. Tell the family that you are obligated to inform the patient of the findings first. Or D. Explain to them that the decision can only be made by the healthcare proxy. And the correct answer here is choice C. Tell the family that you are obligated to inform the patient of the findings first. Your first duty is to keep the patient fully informed. The term therapeutic privilege grants you the right to withhold information from a patient if you believe that he or she will suffer serious psychological harm from possessing that information. Unless there is significant evidence that the patient would become suicidal or otherwise mentally unstable, you have a duty to the patient first, not the family. In such cases, it is always best to have a conversation with both the patient and the family prior to testing, so that the expectations can be conveyed and open discussions can be had. A healthcare proxy's participation is only necessary if the patient loses decision-making capacity. So long as the patient is awake and has capacity to make decision for themselves, they should do so. Not a durable power of attorney, not a surrogate decision-maker, and not a healthcare proxy. Ethics committees typically only need to get involved if, for whatever reason, a patient is not able to make a decision, the family cannot agree on a decision, and the physician is unsure of what is in the patient's best interest. Case number seven. A 35-year-old male presents to the office for a first-time visit. His past medical history includes a diagnosis of epilepsy for which he takes medication. He has been seizure-free for six months and confides that he has just gotten a job as a bus driver. 
He's had difficulty finding employment and understands that he shouldn't be driving, but states that since he has not had a seizure for six months, he thinks he should be okay. Which of the following is the most appropriate response? A. Advise him to disclose this to his employer. If he does not, then give him strict precautions on when to stop driving and when to return to your office. B. Since he's been seizure-free for six months, it is permissible for him to drive. C. Advise him to disclose this to his employer. If he does not, then report him to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Or D. Advise him to disclose this to his employer. Make him sign a written form indicating that you have informed him of all the risks so that you are not liable in case of an accident. And the correct answer here is choice C. Advise him to disclose this to his employer. If he does not, then report him to the DMV. Driving restrictions for persons with seizure disorders are designed to protect public safety. Situations such as these will require a delicate balance between maintaining patient confidentiality and protecting the community. The best initial course of action is to have an open discussion with the patient. Verbalize understanding of a situation, explain your rationale, and make sure he is aware of all the potential risks. Advise him to discuss the situation with his employer and disclose his medical history. Violating confidentiality will carry with it serious consequences and can limit a physician's effectiveness in establishing a rapport with his or her patients. Therefore, this conversation should be had early and with full disclosure of what might happen if a patient does not handle the situation appropriately. According to the American Medical Association, quote, In those situations where clear evidence of substantial driving impairment implies a strong threat to patient and public safety and where the physician's advice to discontinue driving privileges is disregarded, physicians have an ethical duty to notify the Department of Motor Vehicles of the medical conditions which would impair safe driving. This duty exists even when reporting impaired drivers is not mandated by the law. Departments of Motor Vehicles should be the final determiners of the inability to drive safely. End quote. All right, that's it for today. Go download the Audio QBank app by Inside the Boards and get all of the podcast archives for the Study Smarter series that we've done in the past, more topical playlists organized for ease of consumption, as it were, topical playlists organized for ease of study, all of our podcasts in one place, additional partner content, including question dissections and high-yield reviews from Cognitionis and Quick Steps, mindfulness meditations for medical students specifically. And if you want to support Inside the Boards, get a premium subscription to get access to our all-audio QBank, Lecturio's high-yield pharmacology, and dropping any day now, the launch of our medical ethics products and our audio flashcards. And by the way, if you go to our website to sign up, insidetheboards.com, of course, that's actually the cheapest way um, to get access to our uh, premium subscription for the Audio QBank app. So if you're so inclined, you can save a few dollars going that way, including if you get a subscription longer than 90 days, there's actually a massive discount and you can select the exact date after 90 days that you want it to end which was sort of my way of, I guess, uh, recognizing that you guys are short on cash. That way you're not paying, you know, for uh, six months for something you only need four months of, for instance. So we're trying to help you out, help us out. We really appreciate you listening and telling your friends and happy studying.